Welcome to the Kitchen Table Theology Podcast, where Pastor Jeff Cranston, along with our host, Jen Denton, will discuss biblical theology in an understandable way. You'll discover how to apply biblical truth to your life. Thanks for joining us at the table. Let's get started. Well, hello again, Kitchen Table community, and welcome to episode 86 here on Kitchen Table Theology. I'm Jen Denton, and along with Pastor Jeff Cranston, we here at Kitchen Table Theology exist to promote biblical theology, rooted and grounded in God's Word, the Bible. And we agree with Dr. Dustin Benge, who said, Belief in Christian doctrines is not for mere education or the ability to argue with others, but to supremely delight in Christ. And it's our hope and prayer that here at Kitchen Table Theology, we are aiding you in doing just that. Today's podcast is being brought to you, again, by Pastor Jeff's most recent book, Your Greatest Adventure. It makes a wonderful gift for the new believer and contains two chapters specific to now what has will be for podcast, including this one. The Ordinance of the Church, which we've already talked about, can be called sacraments, and they are baptism. And last podcast, we started today's topic, the Lord's Supper or Communion. But back to Pastor Jeff's latest book, Your Greatest Adventure. You can pop on over to Amazon, add that to cart, and order today. And Kitchen Table Theologians, please listen to today's podcast all the way through because we're going to announce our next series. It's one that many of you have been waiting a long time for, and it's one that Pastor Jeff has been putting off just as long as possible. If Come you couldn't on. see me, I've got my finger of reproach <laughs> she, out in it shaking wagging away. Wagging the index finger at me. <laughs> And we'll tell you what that is at the end of today's podcast, so stick around. Pastor Jeff, two wonderful practices that Jesus left his church. We've been reintroducing here, baptism and communion, and letting people know that just because they're wonderful practices doesn't mean that they are without confusion and disagreement, even among Christians, regarding these practices. Yes, and hello again, Kitchen Table Theology community. Yeah, these two ordinances, or sacraments, we learned it's okay to use the word sacrament, they were intended for unity and uh, togetherness and fellowship and all of that, and leave it up to us. We've turned them into things that divide us or set, not maybe not divide us as much as separate us mm-hmm. rather than u- unite us. So, but uh, whether we have brought unity to all of this in our <laughs> la- last three podcasts, uh, we, we hope we have, and certainly don't hope we've brought any discord. Well, we hope that we've at least brought discussion and bring. Well, that we've brought, yes. (laughs) And today's topic will be that of communion, or as some people say, the Lord's Supper, or as others say, the Eucharist. (laughs) That last one, Pastor Jeff, Eucharist, we might be familiar with that term, but what does that mean? Well, thanks for giving me a very easy question off the top. Normally, you give me hard questions. (laughs) Very easy answer. The word Eucharist is from the Greek, and it simply means giving thanks. And out of those three terms, communion, Lord's Supper, Eucharist, perhaps the one in most common usage among Protestants today uh, is the term the Lord's Supper. Well, as we jump into today's topic on part two of the Lord's Supper, we thought we'd share with you five main views that have been held throughout the church's history as to the meaning of the Lord's Supper and how Christ is present in it. Pastor Jeff, the first main view is sometimes known as the memorial view. Tell us what that means. 
That sounds like a cemetery. Memorial, Memorial View. View Cemetery. We had Memorial Memorial Gardens. That oh, was yeah. a cemetery where I grew up. Yeah. yeah. It does. Anyhow. The Memorial the, View. So out of the five views that we'll look at on the Lord's Supper, the Memorial View is one that I think from biblical evidence, it seems abundantly clear that Jesus intended the Lord's Supper to primarily be a memorial observance of him. After all, you think, what did he tell us? Do this in remembrance of me. So the two primary thoughts here in this memorial view of the Lord's Supper is, number one, the remembrance of Christ, and number two, the fellowship with the other members of his body, both with each other and with Christ. So every time we receive communion, or at least I try to do this, every time I receive communion, I try to intentionally remember Christ and be thankful for all he's done for us. But quite frankly, sometimes I'm not really sure what that means. In the moment, or do we are we supposed to list out all of these things that he's done? What should that moment look like? Yeah, remember me, and then I'll say, why don't you take a moment and remember him? Mm-hmm. Well, what does that mean? I think hey, it's, I know that guy. Yeah. <laughs> It's different for everyone, (laughs) and I think all Christians sense that to some extent. And I know for me personally, I like to sort of bring a threefold significance to bear on this when I remember Christ at the Lord's Supper. First of all, I think, and maybe maybe this will help you, I think we can recall Christ's once-for-all, never-to-be-repeated, substitutionary, redemptive sacrifice for all of us. Remember that first. Secondly, we can remember Christ's saving presence. He's here now among us, you know, when we're gathered as the church. And thirdly, we can remember the future coming of Christ. As long as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. There's the futuristic part of that. Actually, in that verse, you have past, present, and future. As long as you eat this bread and drink this cup present, you proclaim the Lord's death past until he comes future. So just even in that, Jesus infuses what we know as past, present, and future, which I think is incredibly awesome. Mm-hmm. And I think that's helpful for us, too. We can kind of break it down in, in our minds that way. You said a moment ago that we are to have two primary thoughts when it comes to the Lord's Supper. And that well, is, and in that memorial view. In that, in, yeah. Sorry, as, right. we're, as we're fleshing this out, in that memorial view. One is remembrance. And I remember growing up with that that table. In remembrance in, of yes, me. Yes, I can see the font in my yeah, head. <laughs> the old English font Do carved this, into the yeah, wood. Exactly. Yeah. Um, and I think other, we went to the same church sometimes. I, don't I really know. do. <laughs> so one was remembrance, and the other was fellowship. And that one, it's a little, little, little foggier. Unpack that one for us. Well, whenever we celebrate communion, it ought to remind us of our oneness with Christ and our oneness with other believers as we fellowship, as it were, around two elements, the bread and the cup. Mm. And in communion, the believer shares fellowship or partnership with Christ and then experiences unity and fellowship with other believers. And in some real but very spiritual way, Jesus is present in the observance of the Lord's Supper, though not in the elements themselves, not in the bread not in the cup. They remain unchanged. Nothing about them changes. So in this memorial view, the Lord's Supper is not a means of conveying grace to people, but it's a memorial looking back at his death and looking forward to his return. 
So that's the memorial view. Yeah. And it's that we would say the prominent view among Christians. Yeah, I think so. But you mentioned that there were five. So what are some others? Well, the second one, we'll call that the Roman Catholic view. But before I do these other four, let me just say, I'm not proposing that all five of these views are of equal merit. And, and I think you will see by the end of the podcast that one of these has much more biblical support than the other four. Anyway, that second view, is, we'll just call it the Roman Catholic view. So based primarily on insisting that when Christ said, this is my body and blood, you know, at the Passover meal, at the end of the Gospels, when he instituted the Lord's Supper, he said, this is my body given for you, this is my blood, this is the new covenant. Roman Catholics believe that he meant that literally. They teach that the bread and wine are transformed into the body and blood of Christ Mm -hmm. as the priest, and this is their wording, as the priest utters the formula of consecration on the elements, the bread and the wine. And although the appearance of the elements doesn't change, they believe the qualities of the elements change literally into the body and, and blood of Christ in that moment. That is called transubstantiation. Say it again. Just for fun, <laughs> transubstantiation. So this view, again, this is just me. I believe this is this view is unscriptural because it carries the idea that Christ's sacrifice is reoffered each time the Eucharist is celebrated. Teaching clearly refuted by refuted by Hebrews ten and Hebrews nine. So, Jen, I, I pulled up that Hebrews ten passage. It's uh, verses ten through twelve. How about reading that for us real quick? Sure. And I'll probably emphasize some words in this. Yeah, go ahead. We've been sanctified through the sacrifice of the body of Christ once for all. Day after day, every priest stands to minister and to offer again and again the same sacrifices, which can never take away sin. But when this priest, Jesus— And that word priest is capitalized. Yes. Yeah. —had offered for all time one sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God. For all time he did it, once and for all he did it. So thank you for that. Additionally, the overall context of Scripture points to Jesus' language as figurative or symbolic, much like his bread of life discourse in John 6, where the, the, the truth of the teaching is literal, but the language figurative or symbolic. I'll give you an example. He said, I am the bread of life. Well, he wasn't a loaf of bread. Okay, he said, "I am the door." He didn't turn into a door. the The truth is literal. So I'm the bread. In other words, you need me to live. I'm the door. If you don't go through me, you're not getting to God the Father. It's literal truth, but it's symbolic or figuratively expressed. So, in 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 the Roman Catholic view, Christ is physically present in the elements themselves, which change into His body and blood. And thus, it is a means of conveying grace to people saved or unsaved. Well, without getting too far off off track, I like the last part of that verse that we read from Hebrews ten two that said, "And then after he'd done this, he sat down at the right hand of God." Yeah, I'm, I'm done. done. I'm done. Finished. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Well, that yeah. gives us an idea of that second view. What is the third view? Well, we'll call the third view the Lutheran view. Okay. Okay. This position, the Lutheran view, holds that in some way. And it's very hard to define. Christ has a real presence during the Lord's Supper, 
but the elements are not transformed into his literal body and blood. So in Lutheran doctrine, Christ is said to be in, with, and under the elements. And this is called consubstantiation. So when you participate in this, you, it, it, you're seen to partake of the true body and blood of Christ in some way, and it's a rather mystical way from all I can gather. And that view shares similar fatal defects with the Roman Catholic view, I think, and doesn't have a lot of strong, if any, strong scriptural support. Okay, so we've got the memorial view, the Roman Catholic view, the Lutheran view. Up next is? The fourth view, and you'll love this, this is the Zwinglian view. The Zwinglian Zwinglian. View. Yeah, I, I so want you to say that a few times. Zwinglian. <laughs> okay, so it's named after a man whose last name was Zwingli. Ulrich Zwingli, and he lived from 1484 to 1531, was born in Switzerland and was the most important reformer in the Swiss Protestant Reformation. So he was an important dude. He founded the Swiss Reformed Church and a very important figure in the overall Reformation. Okay, so like Martin Luther, he accepted the supreme authority of the Scriptures, but he applied it more rigorously and comprehensively to all the doctrines and practices of the Church. So Zwingli is usually associated with the memorial view of the Lord's Supper, but where he differs from it is he insisted that the Lord's Supper was primarily a commemorative act. And he rejected the idea of any real presence of of Christ, whether figuratively, symbolically, literally. He just viewed it as we do this as a commemoration. Mm -hmm. But does Jesus show up as he part and parcel of it at the time you're doing it? No. Uh, It's kind of where where he was. He, He believed that Christ was spiritually present to those who by faith took the elements, but that it, it, I don't know, it's a fine line, but it's, it's one of the views. And the memorial view really does trace its roots to Zwingli's teaching, but he, he maybe under, maybe the way to say it is he underemphasized the idea of communion with Christ mm-hmm. in the supper. So there we have four views, the Lord's Supper of the Lord's Supper, the memorial view, the Roman Catholic view, the Lutheran view, and now the Zwick She can't say it. I said it right after I You heard said it perfectly. Zig- Zwinglian. Zwinglian. Yeah. You gotta kind of throw yourself out you there just, to say you it. You just gotta Zwinglian. just jump into it. So, yes, there's that fourth view. What's the what's the fifth and final view? Much easier to pronounce. Yeah. Let's call this the reformed view. The Calvinistic view. Uh Calvinism adhering to the teachings of the Reformer John Calvin, obviously. The Reformed view rejects, rejects the bodily presence of Christ in the Supper, so it differs from the Roman Catholic view, but does hold that Christ, Christ's spiritual presence is real in such a way that in, in Calvin's writings, his entire person, body and blood, is enjoyed in the Supper. So there is an aspect of efficacy here and that Christ's sacrificial death is somehow made effective in the believer through partaking of the elements. Mm-hmm. So the Reformed view has the elements, the bread and cup, 
more than symbolic. And, and by partaking, a believer experiences the redemptive power of Christ. I tell you, I'm I I I, I just, well before I say what I think, because let me tell you how many people care what I think. Let's let's out of those five, Miss Jen, which do you believe has the most solid biblical support? Well, I'd like to say Zwinglian, just so I could <laughs> practice saying that word, or say that I'm a Z- Zwingliist. Zwingli, yes. yeah, you hold the Zwinglian theology. Yes. Yeah, I could see you saying that. Wingy. But based on what we've talked about, I'm going to go with Memorial. <laughs> well, yeah, I, okay, so let's, let's keep that. You know, the Memorial view, I think, does tend to, to take, yeah, have more scriptural support, let's and, say. Yeah, and you've mentioned that all along. You know, I've been taking communion for as far back as I can remember, again, that, that table that had those, those words carved in How it. How old do you, you think know? you were when you first took communion? Oh, goodness. I don't remember. And was I it a thing? Remember. Like in Catholic Church, when you make when you take your first communion, that's a big deal. Oh no! No, you it, just it wasn't. It was just yeah. yeah. You just did it. I mean, it was important. Don't sure. get me wrong. Like it was, you know, a, a relevant because you had to you understand. Know, what yeah, you had to understand yeah. it. But no, I remember the gold plates, and they were lined with red velvet. Yes, yeah, yeah, crushed. <laughs> that were in there. Yeah, that were there at the at the table. But yeah, I mean, you know, the eating from the bread, the the drinking from the cup, which we talked about last time, was most likely grape juice. But when are we supposed to take the Lord's Supper? You know, the the church I grew up in took it. You know, probably. Once a month, yeah. Kind of... A lot of churches take it the first Sunday of every month, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and I know other traditions take communion weekly. Or mm-hmm. you know, here at Low Country, it's probably what about six times a year. Yeah, six, Somewhere seven around. times, yeah. five times. Some, yeah. We we're not very systematic about it. But okay, so your questions about uh, the yeah, frequency of it. Yeah, what does the Bible say about that? Sorry, we got off topic. Yeah. Yeah, the answer is that the exact number or the frequency of observing communion are never detailed for us in Scripture. Some, as I, I think I said this in the last podcast, some believe that the early church received communion every time they met. Others believe they, they observed communion every time they ate, literally. And I, I know for many, many years, and it may still be this way, in the Scottish Church of Scotland, the, you know, where Presbyterian came from, it was annual. You just took it once a year, and that, that was a big, major, major deal. And what we do know, and what is clear from the New Testament, is that its observance was a regular part of the New Testament church. But we're never told you're supposed to take it 12 times a year or something like that. Well, I got us off track by asking about the frequency. A few minutes ago, I said, although the other one sounds nice when you say it, that I thought a memorial view of communion had the most... Zigwalian... The Z one. <laughs> Anyways, I said that I think that the memorial view of communion had the most scriptural support, and I had hints because you kind of pointed to that as you were going through. Hope you. Guys I did make a case. I, yes, I tried to make did. a case. So, spell that out for us. What What do you think about that? Well, I thought you'd never ask. Oh, well, there we go. I believe it's very clear from Scripture that biblical support points points to the memorial view, the fellowship, uh, the remembrance, the fellowship aspects of the Lord's Supper. Not to something magical, not to something mystical that happens to or is associated with the elements themselves as they are taken. A lot of, a lot of that is in some people's belief. You know, the elements change; they literally change. But, but in in the memorial view, the the bread and the cup are symbolic 
of Christ's broken body and his shed blood. You know, the spiritual presence of Christ, I think, is as real in the Lord's Supper as it is real in the Word of God, as it is real in the believer's life generally, as the believer fellowships with Christ. The Lord's Supper was and and is today a significant, meaningful part of regular worship in any New Testament type of church. And, you know, so what has to be true for us today, that we've got to come to the table in a worshipful attitude. We've had to examine ourselves, make sure that we're properly related to the Lord in that moment, to other believers in that moment. I mean, we're told if you're not in fellowship with somebody, you really shouldn't take the Lord's Supper. And and when we do anything other than that, Paul told us you partake in an unworthy manner. Mm-hmm. Hey, let me close with a with a true story. I think was it this podcast or last podcast we talked about the uh, Welch's grape juice. The we last did. podcast. It was the last podcast. So okay, so let me close this podcast with another true story. And I share this in my book Happily Ever After, which is a study in the Beatitudes. Um when Leonardo da Vinci was 43, the Duke of Milan named Ludovico Sforza. Better you than me. Isn't that a great name? <laughs> it is Ludovico <laughs> Sforza. He's the one who commissioned da Vinci to paint The Last Supper okay. in Milan, Italy. In a, in a, at a, it's above a, the doorway in a convent. And I'm sure some in our listening audience have, have seen that in person. So he, da Vinci spent three years on that. And he grouped, if you remember it, he grouped the disciples in threes. There's two groups on either side of Christ, him being the central figure. The arms are outstretched. uh, The arms of Christ are outstretched. He holds a beautifully painted cup in his right hand. So when it was finished, he he came to the Duke, who was his patron, among other things, and he said, look, observe it, look at it, spend some time with it, and give me your opinion of it. And, and Ludovico said, it's wonderful. And then he said this, the cup is so real, I cannot divert my eyes from it. And without a word, and immediately, da Vinci took a brush and painted right across the cup. Just boom, wiped right through it. And when he did that, he said, nothing shall detract from the figure of Christ. So there you go. That's such a great illustration. The table of the Lord, the Eucharist, the communion, the Lord's Supper, nothing about it should ever detract from him. Mm-hmm. And as we've been going through this series, I, the the words of, it's not as contemporary anymore, but heart of worship have been coming to mind where there's a line in there that says, I'm sorry, Lord, for the thing I've made, made it. it. Right. And he's talking more about worship, but we do that. We like to... We like to take something from its intended purpose and make it about itself rather it, than the exactly, Lord. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Good point. Well, well, our next series will begin on Sunday and we'll kick off January 2nd. Is that right? January 2nd. That's January right. 2nd. We're going to take a few weeks off. We've been going pretty hard at this for 18 months, 19 months. And you're not doing anything around Christmas time. I'm not time doing anything as, around as an Christmas time. executive pastor or so, lead pastor, are you? No. <laughs> yeah. After this podcast is over, You won't hear from us for about three weeks or so, and we'll come back, Lord willing. We're we're told to say Lord willing on everything. Our next podcast will drop on Sunday, January the 2nd. And it's going to be on... Ooh, let me do the drum roll, and then you say it. Okay, you ready? You do the drum roll and say it. Oh. I'll give you all the good stuff. 
eschatology. <laughs> yeah, the doctrine of eschatology. Which is the doctrine of the end time. So that's we going have, to be a good one. I've been putting that off because, <laughs> man, if you want to talk about disunity and discord mm. and division. Uh, so the on the 2nd of January, we're going to spend that podcast talking about the terms. Okay. We're just going to define some of the terms so we have That'll a working knowledge of what mm-hmm. we're talking about as we move forward. But we're going to talk, we're going to study for about, it could be 8, 10, 12 podcasts. We're going to spend some time and we're going to go deep and we're going to study the doctrine of the end times. Okay. Here we go. Giddy up in 2022. Giddy up, yeah. It's what a, <laughs> I don't know why I do this to myself. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, once again, thanks so much for listening to today's podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please take a moment and leave us a review. That way, more kitchen table theologians like you can discover us. It only takes about 60 seconds and it makes a big difference. Today's podcast was brought to you by Pastor Jeff's most recent book. He mentioned his previous book, Happily Ever After. His most recent book is called your greatest adventure. And both are available on Amazon. And they make wonderful Christmas presents. They do. They do. And it contains two entire chapters on what we've just covered on these last few podcasts. So go ahead and head on over to Amazon. And we want to give a special thanks to our church family here at Low Country Community Church. They make this podcast possible. They do We're make very this grateful. podcast possible. And... A sweet, sweet young lady. Our sound engineer. Miss Anna Showinstra, who's had a birthday since our last recording. She's adulting now. She is. She is. And she's amazing. And we love her. We got to get her a car. Thanks, Anna. (laughs) (laughs) If you would like to donate. The girl's out walking (laughs) to work some days. I I know. (laughs) Oh, goodness. So thanks, Anna. We appreciate all that you do for us here. So we plan, again, Lord willing, to reconnect with you right after the first of the year. In the meantime, we have... Merry Christmas. Yes. Happy New Year. Happy New Year. We'll celebrate the Advent of Jesus. We started that this past Sunday. And God bless you, our kitchen table theologian community. And as we leave you today, as always, one more time this year, (laughs) we want to encourage you to always remember that the real power of theology is not just knowing it, but applying it. You've been listening to the Kitchen Table Theology Podcast with Jen Denton and Pastor Jeff Cranston. Join us next time for more insights into biblical truth. If you'd like to know more on today's topic, you can check out the show notes at jeffcranston.com. You can also email us at pastorjeff at lowcountrycc.org. If you're enjoying this podcast, would you consider leaving a rating and review on iTunes? We deeply appreciate your help in getting the word out. And be sure to subscribe on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, or in your favorite podcasting app to continue this journey with us as we learn about and apply God's Word to our lives. Thanks for joining us, and we'll see you next time here at Kitchen Table Theology.